we've been talking about covenants covenants isn't it covenants and um, I gave a definition I said a covenant is a binding promise of far-reaching consequences or importance a covenant is stronger than a promise and I explained that a covenant is an agreement between two parties which means that two parties have equal um, what's it called equal stake or they have something that they have to bring to the covenant a man and a woman come together and they make their pledge that I leave my father and my mother and I join myself to you to be a husband to you from this day forward we shall be one and that becomes a covenant because the man says it and the woman also says it and then the a priest pronounces the blessing upon it and it becomes binding. Are you with me? If a man gives you a promise ring that I promise I'll marry you, it is not the same as the covenant of the wedding. Are, are you getting what I'm trying to say? So a covenant is very important and as Christians we must understand or we must take our time to understand the covenants that we operate under. You see, Satan is a very good master legal mind. And Satan has been here longer than you and I have been. Even Jesus, when Jesus came, Satan used legal, legalities, the word of God, to tempt him. Because he knows the word. Are you getting what I'm saying? And, 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 and Jesus had to use, depend on the word to overcome the temptation in the wilderness. How much less you and I? We cannot overcome. You see, we can shout in prayer. That's fine. We can do all the tongues and do all the acrobatics. That's okay. But if you don't know the word, even what type of tongues are you praying? What type of prayer are you praying? What legal? It's like a lawyer going to the court without knowing what um, the law says. You look like a fool. Are you with me? You say, you start talking like uh, judge set aside the law. And let's talk common sense. We don't talk common sense here. We speak law. Are you with me? In the same way, we don't talk common sense in prayer. So we must know, we must know what we, we have in Christ. Amen. Today, I want us to look at the power of the new covenant or the new testament in the communion. The power of the New Testament in the communion. You see, the communion is, is one area that uh, most churches avoid teaching. We practice it, but we don't really teach it into details because it, it has a lot of controversies and many people have tried to uh, bash the communion or you make the communion become something it is not. Are you with me? For instance, I don't know what, what denomination you came out of, but there are certain denominations, they believe that when the priest wears the gown and holds the cup, immediately that cup becomes the blood of Jesus. And so he just has to touch your lips and they wipe it and then touch it, you know. So it's all these type of misconceptions that have made the, the um, communion not have as much power as it ought to have. Now, if you read Acts chapter 2, verse 40, 46, the Bible says that they, they went into different houses, breaking bread, 
You know, that word breaking bread, it was not just having food. It was not just them eating, uh, what do you call it, dinner or, or, or lunch. But it was them also having the communion because they knew and they had faith in the power that was that is hiding behind the communion. Amen. Today, in our day, we, 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 we think that communion is supposed to be once a year, once a month, once, uh, what do you call it, on your, when you are being Christian, that's when you take communion. And then when you are getting married, then you take communion. And the day you die, do you take communion? I'm not sure. <laughs> you, you know, but the Bible says that they were breaking bread. They were having, and, and if you look at Jesus, Jesus in the, the original communion, Jesus said they were at table eating. And then when they had finished eating, he instituted the ordinances of communion after they had eaten. Am I making sense? So it was, it's not just something that you have to do on occasion and do it in a certain way. No, it's, it's something that we must understand. We must have faith in it so that even at home, when you're eating, you can eat and after that have communion. And it will have the same power and the same effect as you have in the church of God. A lot of people come and take communion in church. It's just a ritual. But today I want to us to go into it so that we can understand and know the hidden power behind the communion. Are you with me? Turn your Bibles with me to Luke 22. Luke chapter 22. We're going to start from verse 14 through to 23. The Bible says that when the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said to them with a fervent desire, I have desired, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take it, divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave, gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shared for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is at hand on the table. Truly, uh, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to question among themselves, saying, of, of which of them was who would be that thing? Amen. Hallelujah. So let's demystify the confusion of the, of the body and the, and the he said, Jesus said, take it. This is my body that was broken for you. He says that this is a symbol of my body. You know, the, the, some people believe that as soon as the priest takes the bread, it is the body of Jesus. It is the symbol. Because if it's just the priest who takes the bread and it becomes the body of Jesus, then you cannot take the bread and it becomes the body at home. Am I making sense? But it, is a, it symbolizes the body. So wherever we are, 
whoever we are, when we take the bread, it is a symbol of the body of Jesus Christ. And you and I know that in the, in the realms of the kingdom, everything is done by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, which means that in, in, in this uh, uh, institution or in this covenant as well, without faith, the communion becomes useless. Are you getting it? There are, there are testimonies of people who had faith in the communion that they were dying and they were given communion and they came back to life. There are others too who just eat and drink the communion for the sake of eating and drinking. There are even some people who go to eat and drink the alcoholic wine to get drunk. <laughs> are you getting it? It's all to each and their own and how they understand it. But I want you to understand that the symbol is very important. Amen. The, the body of Jesus is very important. I'm going to go into it. The blood of Jesus or the wine, which represents the blood of Jesus, is very important. Without the blood of Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 9, let's, let's look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for our sin. For the life, he says, according to the law, Almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for our sins. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, and um, God came and told them that you have sinned, because he said to them before that in the day that you shall eat of this tree, you shall die which means that you'll be separated from life. You'll be separated. Die means separated from life. Separated from my relationship with you. It's like saying that in the day you commit adultery, this marriage shall die. Does that make sense? So if you break the legal agreement, the institution is dead. Am I making sense? So in the day that you eat of this tree, you shall die because my covenant with you, the old covenant, will be broken. Amen. And indeed, when um, Adam ate of the tree and the covenant was broken, you see, the, the thing that you must understand in the Bible, am I going too fast or too slow? I'm trying to take my time so you understand. The, the, the fact of the Bible is that the covenant was made between Adam and God. Remember, Eve was inside of Adam when the covenant was made. When Eve was taken out of Adam and Eve became a living soul, the covenant was still with Adam and God. Are you with me? So in the day that Eve ate of the fruit first, God didn't appear. Because the covenant still hasn't been broken. Am I making sense? When, when Adam ate of the fruits, then the covenant was broken. Because, you see, God knows that Satan is a master legal person. Because you would have said, ah, why are you punishing Adam? Adam hasn't eaten. It's Eve. <laughs> are you getting it? 
But as soon as Adam had it, means both of them have had it. So then sin had entered the world. Amen. I am sure that if Satan knew how to get to Adam through Eve, because Adam had been around all this while, but Satan never visited with the fruit, isn't it? But as soon as Eve came, he visited. And the intention was not to get Eve, but to get Adam. And Eve, uh, Satan knew that as soon as I give the fruit to Eve, it will definitely get to Adam. Are you getting it? And with that came the broken covenant. We said that everything is purified by the blood. So it means that if God has to resurrect the covenant, if God has to resurrect and restore our relationship, he can only do so through the blood. Are you with me? That's the only way God can restore the uh, relationship. Mind you, when, when, when Adam sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, and um, they, they realized they were naked, in chapter 3, from verse 7 downwards, the Bible says that and they tried to sow fig leaves to cover their nakedness. Do you know what that means? It means they were trying, man was trying his hardest to get to God through religion. Are you with me? Man was trying to do something to repair the, the, the uh, covenant and you realize that it wasn't going to work. So God himself had to come and sow some, uh, Bible says, according to the, are you, are you in, uh, go to Genesis 3 for me. Are you in Genesis 3, from 7? Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. They were trying. The Bible says in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the... Uh, uh, without, without me, you, it's impossible to get to the Father, isn't it? Am I talking to somebody? Yeah. So, here God had to come in, I think, verse, verse 27 or something. He, God had to come, 21, verse 21, God had to come and try and do a temporary cover. Somebody say temporary cover. He did a temporary, until, so he, he, he made coats to cover their skins. We are in John, we are in uh, Genesis, Genesis 3.21. And he made, and also for Adam and his wife, the Lord made tunics or coats of skin and clothes to cover them temporarily. So you see that as time went on, God had to get Moses to institute sacrifices. Because without that sacrifice, that temporary covenant will still be broken. Are you, are you getting it? That temporary thing, it, it, it's, it's, let me try and bring it down to, uh, are, you, are you okay with me so far? I'm looking at your eyes to see whether you understand what I'm saying. The, the temporary cover had to be reinforced every time. Are you getting it? Because when you have the temporary clothes, as you are growing, it tears, isn't it? Or then it gets dirty or becomes weak, so it has to be put on again. And, and some, the, the, the 
cows and the, the offerings, the sacrifice was a temporary um, cover, remission to cleanse us consistently so that we can still have a covenant with God or have a relationship with God. That is why in the temple, you see that when you enter the temple, there is a place you have to wash your hands. There is a place you need to sacrifice before you move to the next level. In the temp, uh, from the outer court, you have to sacrifice before you get into the inner court. And then if you are going to, are you getting it? It's all sacrifices, 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 because you need blood to cleanse. You need the blood to cleanse. Am I talking to somebody? And, and it got to a point that, okay, so look at um, Exodus 12, 5. This is where um, God establishes this covenant it says that your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Are you getting without blemish? You need a certain type of clean animal so that the clean animal will become sin to wash your sin away. Are you getting for the year? Then as you go on the following year, you have to do the same thing. You have to keep doing it all the time. Amen. And then we, 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 we come to the place where God decides that even though this thing has been going on temporarily and is going on temporarily, it's not working. Are you getting it? So he decides that I'm going to send my son, the one who is blemished, so that he will become the lamb. Appropriation in First John. Go to First John with me. First John, uh, two two says that he will become a propitiation for our sins. He will become an atonement for our sins. He will come without blemish. He will come without sin. He was on the earth with us, being like all of us, suffering everything we suffer, but yet without sin. He was blameless. Are you getting it? He was blameless and. He became the perfect sacrifice. Hallelujah. To pay for the sin of man that was so, uh, so strong that God could not reach us. In, in Isaiah 59 verse 1, it says that the hand of the Lord is not short that he cannot save. Neither is his ear uh, heavy that he cannot hear. But your sin has made, has brought a, a gap between you and I. That your sins have made you. So if I want to bring you near, I need something more powerful. Am I making sense? And so he needed the, 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 the blood. Now, the, the blood, I'm, I'm trying to see what, so I don't go too fast. Are you okay with me so far? Okay. Now, so God's, God's idea was that he's going to take... Um, the blood, and then once he makes the off sacrifice, he's going to bring a new agreement because the first agreement, which was do and don't, was broken. So now he's going to bring an agreement that has to do with faith. That, does that make sense? Because he said, don't touch this tree. If you touch this tree, this thing's broken. And man touched the tree. So the new sacrifice is that whosoever will believe in the blood that has been poured becomes my son. Hallelujah. Am I making sense? 
This is the reason why a lot of uh, pastors don't preach this one because it's, it's a very technical thing. Jeremiah 33, 31, sorry. Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 33 and 34. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see, this is the, the prophecy that God gave concerning the New Testament, the new relation, the new covenant. He says that this time I am going to write it on their minds and in their hearts. Because when I said it and it went into their ears, they forgot. So I'm going to put it there this time around. No more shall every man teach his neighbor or every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquities and their sins. I will remember no more. Amen. So he, he is formulating He's formulating the foundations of the New Testament, the New Testament, the New Covenant. Um, are you getting it? Go to Jeremiah 32, 40. He says, I will make an everlasting covenant. So he says that now I'm going to come away from the temporary covenant that I've been making of every year kill a goat to pay for your sins. Every year kill a goat. This time I'm going to make a permanent sacrifice. So I will write, I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will not turn away from them to do them. I will not turn away from them to do them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts and they sh shall not depart from me. Amen. So I'm going to, this is how I'm going to do it. The first thing is, that I'm going to make a covenant with them. And then he goes on to say, this is going to be an everlasting covenant. So it's not just the covenant, but the covenant is going to be everlasting. And this time, I'm never going to turn away from them. I'll be with them throughout. Hallelujah. Ezekiel 11, Ezekiel 11, verse 19. Then I will give them one heart, and I'll put a new spirit within them. To take the stony heart of flesh and give them a heart to ten, take out their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my status and keep my judgment and do them. Hallelujah. So now we are coming to do a comparison. We're going to compare the old covenant, the old testament with the new testament. So now the old testament number one is based on sacrifice. Isn't it? You have to sacrifice blood. Remember, the, the first covenant with, with God and Adam has been broken. Now God institutes another covenant, that's the Old Testament with Moses, where you, you kill goats and sheep to atone for your sins. And now he wants to bring a new covenant. So the thing is, we are going to compare what Moses has done and what Jesus is doing. And I'm saying that the first thing that we must understand is that the old covenant is out of sacrifice. You have to sacrifice. 
So our part of the covenants that we needed to do in the Old Testament is that we have to go and find a goat, buy a goat, uh, buy a sheep and without blemish, and then sacrifice to pay for your sins. The following year, you do the same. Amen. So the old covenant said, keep the law and live. The new covenant says, receive Christ and live. Can you get a difference? The Old Testament says, make sacrifices of a covering of blood. The New Testament says, I will lay down my life, receive my blood, and you'll be covered. So we don't need to make coverings of blood anymore. We need to receive his blood and we are covered. It's like an insurance policy. If you receive it, you are covered. Amen. Okay, so now let's look at the details of the of the new covenant, the details of the new covenant. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 28. These are the details of the covenant. A new covenant I will make with them. I've said it isn't. I'm taking the stony heart and I am putting a heart of flesh inside of you. The stony heart is the heart that always consistently sins against God, consistently mourn. You know, if you read the story of Moses, you realize that Israel was always doing the opposite of what God wanted them to do. That's a heart of stone. Amen. Amen. Now, let's look at the power that's inside the new covenant. So we have compared. How many will agree that the new one is better than the old one? Because it's easier for us. Mind you, it's not easy for God. It's never been easy from Adam. It's never been easy till now. But if you look at it comparatively, it is easier for us. Let's look at the power behind the new covenant. Hebrews 9, from 16 to 22, says that for where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Um, let, me, let me break that verse alone. Where there is a will, the will can never come into effect unless the one who wrote the will is dead. Does that make sense? Let's say I write a will that if I die, my shoe I'm giving to Francis. My, my, my ring, I'll give it to Pastor Sam. Are you getting it? If I'm not dead yet, my shoe doesn't go to Francis. My ring doesn't go to Pastor Sam. Because I'm not dead. That is why Jesus didn't institute the uh, new covenant or the communion until he was about to die. Because then it makes sense. Because without the testator dying, the testament is null and void. Amen. It's a legal thing, so you have to put your lawyer hat on. For the testament is in force after men are dead. Since it has no power at all while the testator lives. It has no power. While the, uh, the sheep or the cow, or the goat still is alive, you haven't, your sin is not covered. Are you with me? Because when they cut the neck of the, of the animal and the blood comes out, that is what gives you the cleansing. 
Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission for your sins. And the shedding of the blood means that the, the, the animal has to die because the power of life is in the blood. Am I making sense? All right. So therefore, not even the first covenant dedicated without blood the first covenant, you remember we talked about the first covenant? Eh? That had no blood. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. That's the one that um, Moses did. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, and hyssop, and sprinkled it on the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commended for you. Likewise, then likewise, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Hallelujah. Am I making sense? Okay, so now, now that we, have, we are looking at the aspect of the, the covenant, now let's look, look at the, the, the new covenant, the inheritance that we have. Now we have, we have understood that the testator has to die. The one who wrote it has to die. And then when he dies, we get the inheritance. So, assuming your father has a will, the will is of no use to you until he dies. When he dies, now we have to sit down and get the lawyer to come and read the will. And he say, my house in uh, uh, this place is for this one. As for this, my child, he's so naughty, I am leaving him a Bible so that he will change his ways. Then my, all my money in my bank account, I give to this, my daughter. And you see that? So that one child has got houses, one child has got the money in the bank, and another child has got a Bible. <laughs> are you getting that? So they will share it. Some people are happy, some people are sad, but then that's the will. Amen. So Isaiah 53 now we are going to look at the house, the Bible, and the, the money. Hallelujah. Because, you see, even though he has written it, not all of us receive it. Some will take the Bible and not the house or the money. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our grief. Amen. How many have some griefs? Some things that makes you sad. He says that the first part of the will is that he's taking away your, your grief, your sorrow. The thing that makes you sad, he's taking it away because he has bought the price. See, sin is what brings about grief. And he has paid the price of sin. So there's no need for you to have grief anymore. But how many know that even though he has paid the price, if you don't have faith, the grief still stays? 
That is why you must come to a place where you are taking the communion. You have faith to say that this thing that makes me cry every night, this thing that gives me sleepless nights, today I am taking this communion with the faith and the hope that my father has paid the price already. This is my will. You see, when you get the will of the house, they, all they give you is a paper. Do you, do you understand? If you don't know where the house is, you will never find it. I remember my father left two houses in, in uh, The Hague. Who knows where The Hague is? Netherlands, somewhere. Up to today, I've been looking for the house. I have the papers to the house. Me, I have the paper. I can't find the house. Two houses. I have the papers, but I can't find the houses. <laughs> Are you getting it? So, he has given you freedom from sorrow. But if you don't know how to have faith to get it, it's just a paper. And you'll still be in sorrow. Am I making sense to you? So, that's the first one. The second one. He has carried away our sorrows. I'm sure everybody in this room, there's something that makes you sorrowful. You see, it's because we haven't taken time to understand and, and really find the power behind the communion, find the power behind our, the new covenant we have. We're still working in, in bondage. We are still working without the power of joy because he has already taken our sorrow away. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. I don't know whether any of you has watched The Passion before. But if you, if you see those, the cat uh, with nine tails, uh, that, that whip, it has like bones and everything. So when they hit you, it tears your skin. You know, so it, it tears your skin. Anytime the laceration of the skin, anytime the skin is torn, the Bible says that he, that affliction was for the sin. So we, because we believe in him and the work he has done now, and we, we walk in holiness, not of our own selves, but in our purity, not of our own selves, but of his righteousness. Am I making sense? Because it is the afflictions that he has suffered. He was wounded for a transgression. Transgression is when you, when you contravene the law. He was bruised for iniquities. And iniquity is something that you know it's not right to do, but you keep doing it. It becomes part of you. Are you getting it? Transgression is like a sin. You made a mistake and you, made, you, you did the wrong thing. But iniquity is something that naughtiness of your heart, something you know not to do, but you do it. He says that he has... He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace. Every mental health issue that you have, he has taken it away. Hallelujah. Which means that we must not have mental issues. We must not have issues that gives us headaches. We must not have, how many know what I'm talking about? Something oppresses you so much that you become depressed. 
Satan oppressing, oppressing us, makes us depressed, not want to go out, not want to do anything. We stay in the room, we won't go anywhere, we won't do anything with our lives because we feel sad. There are some people that wake up in the morning, they are sad for no reason. It's an oppression of the devil. Amen. But that is one of the covenants or one of the inheritance he has given in the blood. Which means that all these things, he has taken away our grief and sorrow. He has taken away, he has exchanged our afflictions for health. He has paid the price for our iniquities. He has purchased our peace and he has made us whole. So I think he's covered all the aspects of our lives. Isn't it? From your mind to your, your health. Your peace, your, your health, your, your sin, everything has been taken care of. Hallelujah. So now what is our part? What is our part? That's the final thing. What is our part in this? What is our part in it? What, what, because I, we started by saying that a covenant only exists when two people play equal parts. I leave my mother and father and join myself to you. I also leave my mother and father and I join myself to you. Then it becomes a covenant. If I promise and you don't say anything, it's just a promise. Oh, I'll give you 100 pounds tomorrow. It's a promise. And, and, and just as I said, I can change my mind. I said I was going to give you 100 pounds. I'm not giving you any, anymore because you didn't look at me nicely. I changed my mind. Are you with me? So God has given us all these things. Now, what is our part in it? The Holy Communion or the, 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 the Holy Communion that we take is, is just the picture of it is the Passover in the story we read in Exodus where God tells Moses that this very night I want you all to have a very big dinner. Everybody must kill a goat or a cow. And everybody in everybody's house, they must eat cow. You know some people, you only have chicken or cow Christmas time. But when God came to Moses, he said that this night, this particular night, this end of, uh, on this day, every home must kill something. And when you kill the animal, take the blood of the animal and put it on your doorpost. Are you getting it? So, if there were any of the people of Israel who were disobedient and did not put the blood on their doorposts, guess what? The angel of death would have visited them and killed in the house. Are you with me? If any of them didn't have faith in the thing that uh, Moses had said and therefore would not do it, guess what? And how many of you know that even if you don't believe but you obey, the angel will pass. See, God, God has made it so easy for us that even the faith that we have to use is not a, a lot of faith. It's just not that there is power in this thing. I believe it and I'm going to do it. That's all. That is like putting the blood on your doorpost. And so when the angel comes, it's marked. This is the territory, you know. It's like the only thing that you have to do to become part of the, the inheritance of this uh, 
will that I'm writing is to be a member of my family or to be connected with me. That's all. Because sometimes you write will and give some to your friend or some to somebody who did good to you some time ago, isn't it? So it's like, so long as you are connected to me, you can also have partake in this. So the, all that we had to do is to just obey, have faith in, in, the, in the power behind the communion and just obey it. God does not require great faith for us to eat. He only requires hunger and obedience to eat what he gives you. Just hunger that this thing, if I do it, my headache will go. This thing, if I do it, this problem I've been suffering all these years will go. This thing, if I take, eat it, this problem I've had all these years will leave me. Have faith in that body. Have faith in the blood. Amen. Am I talking to somebody? In, in John chapter 1 verse 12, he says that for as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God. As many as received him. As many as received, as many as received them to them. So what qualifies you to become a son, a contender for the inheritance, is receiving. And he say only the few that will receive, receive. Say as many as will receive. See, it's unfortunate, but there are some of us who are Christians for a long time, but we haven't really received the power of the new covenant. Are you with me? We haven't totally believed it. That is how come it sometimes it looks like it's not working for us. Amen. Am I talking to somebody? Our heart with which we partake the, on, in the communion is also very important. Our heart. Somebody say my heart. Come with me to 1 Corinthians 10, 27. So here Paul starts to tell the people that, listen, your heart is very important. If any of, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood, the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself so that, so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For who, he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the lost body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. You see, in those days, like, the people got to a point, they were, they were eating and drinking the wine to get drunk. And so, there were many people who were sick in the church. Many people had died in the church. So, Paul was telling them that, hey, the reason why many people are sick is that you have turned the thing to something that is not supposed to be. The faith that you need to have and the, the mind with which you need to approach this particular uh, 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 ordinances, you have stopped doing it. You are just doing it because they, they say we should do it, so we are just doing it. No. For if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. Hallelujah. So, don't be in a hurry. Don't do this thing haphazardly. 
have a certain mindset, approach it with a certain reverence, approach it with a certain seriousness, wait for everybody, and make sure that everybody gets the bread, and let's approach this thing with a certain mind that this thing that we are doing is not a ritual. This thing we are doing, it has the power of Jesus Christ. It has the inheritance behind it. Are you with me? You see, when, uh, uh, how many have seen a powerful rich man before? Nobody. Oh, a powerful, you can name the, let's say Bill Gates. He's a very powerful and rich man. What makes him powerful? If you strip all his assets from him, and you strip everything he has on him, he becomes like anybody else, isn't it? So what makes him powerful are the things that he has. The knowledge he has, the things he has, is what makes him powerful. Now that he's dead, he's no more powerful. Why? Because he has transferred the things he has to others. So now another person will come and take Bill Gates' goods and become as powerful as Bill Gates, isn't it? Uh, the guy who died, Steve Jobs, somebody took over from him. What's it called? Tim Cook. Now Tim Cook has become as powerful as Steve Jobs. Why? Because he has taken over the thing that he had. So in the same way, when we take, we have taken over the thing that Jesus had that made him powerful, that demons and, and uh, wherever he goes, the demons run away. When he, 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 he he sucks them from people. He, he, he puts his hand on people and they get healed. Why? Because he had said something. And he said, the thing that I'm going, I'm leaving it here with you. And this, this is what I'm leaving. I'm giving you the power inside my New Testament so that whoever will receive it, whoever will receive it becomes a child. And once you become a child, it means you become a conduit through which the anointing or the power that I have will flow through. Amen. So, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. 27, I'm, fin- I'm finishing. When you partake of the communion, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in the, an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and is guilty of the blood. Hallelujah. So, we have to make sure that we are not in an unworthy manner. Amen. And you see, a lot of people say that, oh, what it means is that we have to go through, uh, what do you call it, confirmation. You have to go through sacrament. Otherwise, you are eating the body in an unworthy manner. No, that's not true. That's religion. Are you getting it? That's just religion. What makes you worthy is faith. Someone say faith. What make, Because the whole testament is hidden under faith. Because you don't have to cut a goat. You don't have to do any work. You have to receive. And to receive, you must have faith that is being given to you. So the first thing that you need to really qualify and, and beware is, is have the belief that this thing that I'm going to partake in, this thing that I'm going to eat, this thing that I'm going to drink, it has the power to heal me. It has the power to restore. It has the power to, to, to bring me peace. It has the power to change my life. And I guarantee you that your life will be changed. 
I guarantee you that your life will transform. I guarantee you that from today, when you take the communion, it won't be an ordinary communion. It will be something that will transform your life forever. When you go home, you can take the communion and have faith that this communion, this problem I've suffered all this while. I believe. I believe I have faith. And I'm going to take with the expectation that this thing will be gone forever. And I guarantee you that it will go forever. Stand to your feet.